0: We are beginning a new series, and we're talking about divine love, and that's a very different kind of love. We were just now celebrating the love of Jesus. John 15, 33 says, uh, greater love has no one this that, that he lay down his life for his friends. And so what we have in Christ Jesus is a unique love. Now, everyone loves. All human beings have a capacity of love and love. Some just love themselves, some some have uh, affections for others and other things. There's a difference between the love of a fallen human being and the love of a redeemed human being, and it's significant. The love of a human being is tainted in sin and will often cause pain and brokenness because of that sin. The love that is given in Christ Jesus is a purifying love. It's a love that is supernatural, it's a divine love, and it changes who we are, and it enables us to love as we have been loved by God, with a pure love. And it's a love that reconciles, it's a love that renews. So as we're in this series, understand the love that we're talking about is a divine love. We, we really broke this apart last Sunday. If you weren't here, be sure and go to the website, uh, to our app and listen to that sermon where we, where we gave great uh, length of time, a great length of time, some say, to the teaching of that section of Scripture. Uh, now today we want to talk about, as we begin this series, we're going to be talking about divine love. And today we want to talk about God's love in, air quotes, biblical marriage. Now why do I have to do this? Why do I have to say biblical marriage? Well it's, it's simple, because we now live in a society where our government has provided a new definition for marriage that is not consistent with biblical marriage. I want you to understand what, what we're talking about, what I'm preaching about is biblical marriage. Now, some of you will not agree with this. I want you to understand something from our heart right now. I want you to hear me. Even if you do not agree with us, And even if you choose a lifestyle that is contrary to what is going to be taught today, I want you to know something about living hope. We love you. We are not loved because we deserve God's love. We are loved because God simply chose to love us. And I want you to know that that is the love that we have here for one another and for our whole world. No matter what you believe, you will always be loved by living hope. And what we're going to teach on today is the fundamentals to to what a biblical marriage is. Now, we see that biblical marriage since the 60s has been under duress and and under attack. And there's four things that I want to point out to you real quick um, that are challenges to biblical marriage. First of all, there's the legal challenge. In 2004, with 75% of the vote of Kentuckians, we passed a marriage amendment that defined marriage biblically. It's between one man, one biological man, and one biological woman. Now in 2015, the Supreme Court took up a case, it's called the Obergefell decision. I I want you, church family, to learn this, this phrase, Obergefell decision. When I say the phrase Roe versus Wade, what did that decision make legal? Abortion. It has changed our country since that time. Our country has allowed the murder of over 55 million babies. It was a definitive moment in our nation's life. Now, a new decision has been handed down by the Supreme Court at a vote of five to four in the summer of 2015. This is the Obergefell decision, and the Obergefell decision made legal same sex marriage. So now, biblical marriage is being attacked and and being called um, no longer enough because there's a new definition by our government that says that same-sex marriage is legal and acceptable. This puts us at odds with God. Romans chapter 1 says when, when a culture commits this sin in particular, lead, read, go back and read the last few verses of Romans 1. When a culture takes the step that our nation has taken, it says in Scripture that God will release us into our sin. He will let us go into that sin. And what happens once God has turned a people over to their sin, that people will turn on itself and will destroy itself from the inside out. Do you see that happening in our country today? Do you see us attacking one another, and do you see the destruction of our country coming at the hands of our own nation as we are dividing and attacking one another? Well. A lot of it has to do with those two court decisions, but this latest one brings to my mind Romans one, and so we now have man's law contradicting God's law. The other thing is cultural uh, cultural value of independence. It's the second attack. What our culture is saying is, ladies, you don't need a husband, and husbands, you don't need a wife. Basically, you need to stand on your own emotionally and then get your physical needs however you see fit. But whatever you do, don't live in dependence upon a a husband or wife in the covenant of marriage. If you get married, whatever, the, the definition really doesn't matter a whole lot anymore. But what culture says is, you know, make sure you don't have to live dependent on anybody. Make sure you stand alone and always stand on your own two feet independent of someone else. That is not how God designed us. God designed us for community. God made us male and female, male to to have a helper, female to to have that companion leader. Uh, And and so what the culture is teaching us is contrary to God's word. Third, immorality. There's an acceptable immorality that is challenging scripture. So the US is now in moral chaos. And so let me tell you what's gonna start happening. Now that the country is in moral chaos, celebrities, and recognized leaders are going to begin to say, we need a moral standard. We need a moral compass. We need something to direct ourselves by. And this moral compass will be contrary to God's Word. So when we talk about three circles, all right, when we talk about reality, we understand that God created all things, but that sin has created brokenness. Now our society understands that there's brokenness in our culture. Now what our society is going to do, the leaders, the entertainers, you just watch. Watch what's gonna happen. They're gonna start trying to treat the symptoms of the brokenness. They're never gonna call what's wrong sin. Because the moment you say something is sin, now you're saying that there is an absolute truth and there is no way that those are gonna, those, that's gonna come off the, the lips of the, um, the entertainment industry and the government. What they're gonna say is we need to treat the symptoms of brokenness they will never be able to heal what's broken. Only Jesus Christ can do that. See, we understand what we just celebrated in the Lord's Supper is that we need forgiveness of what we've done wrong. We need to be right with God. And that only happens when we repent of sin, acknowledge our sin, ask Jesus to forgive us. He's paid the price for that forgiveness so that we can recover and pursue God's design. Our culture is saying, no, 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 no. Whatever you want to do is fine. That's creating brokenness. They're gonna to try to create laws that will deal with the symptoms, but they will never be able to change what is necessary to bring about a healthy culture, which is a change of heart. And a part of that is because now, the fourth thing is that there's a dependence upon therapy. What we offer at our church, at our counseling center, is biblical counseling. We show what the Bible says about humanity and and circumstances and how it is we can be free to live the way God made us to live. Therapy says, listen, we need to create a a reality, whether it's real or not. We we need to create some sense so that people don't feel burdened. And so that may happen through uh, the therapy that says, whatever you want to believe is true is true so there are people living in pretend worlds ignoring absolute reality. Example, the absolute reality that you are made a specific sex biologically. You're made a biological male, biological female. Now our culture in the therapy therapy is saying, no, 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 if you feel like a girl and you're a guy, then you're a girl, because what you feel is what matters. Forget objective truth, forget objective reality. You know, I want to tell them all the time, look, I know I look 90, but I feel 26. I'm going to start identifying as 26. They won't let me put that on my driver's license. I don't understand. But if I wanted to say that I'm a woman, I can. What's happening? The the therapeutic culture we're living in says, what matters is how you feel. Forget objective truth. And if, and if that doesn't work, let's just medicate to the point that you just kind of go into la-la land and you can live in your own pretend reality. The Bible calls us to reality. The Bible calls us to what is real and to deal with what is real. And one of the real things in our world is the great need for healthy marriages. You talk to anybody. You talk to educators, okay? You talk to people in the justice system, and I do regularly educators and those in the justice system, if you ask them what what is wrong, here's what they'll say, families. Where there are healthy families, there are more healthy people. Here are two fundamental facts that that I want you to get that are fundamental to what I'm gonna say this Sunday and next Sunday. The first is this, the health of a society is found in the health of families. Where there are healthy families, there's a healthy society. Second fact, the health of families begins with healthy marriages, where there is a healthy mom and dad loving one another, as we're going to talk about biblically today, there will be a higher number of healthy children and healthy families that fill society, which make for a healthy society. So, what's wrong with our society? We have broken families. Where do those broken families come from? broken marriages. So what is a biblical marriage? I draw this whenever I do counseling, all right? Here's the picture I draw every time I do uh, any kind of biblical counseling. Here's a picture of marriage. Say there's one guy, and every guy deserves at least one hair, (laughs) and one girl, and, and they have the covenant, Jesus Christ, and they are bound to one another, and then there's other things that revolve around it. Now, this picture wasn't good enough for our media team. So, they had to create a new, better (laughs) one. He doesn't even have hair. Every man deserves one hair, at least one. Let me explain it. So, a biblical marriage begins with, with the covenant that we just celebrated in the Lord's Supper, the new covenant of Jesus Christ. In that covenant, we are forgiven our sins and we are made new. Having been made new, we cling to Christ. And then one man and one woman cling to one another in a second covenant, the covenant of marriage. The covenant that we're given in the cross is eternal. The covenant that we share in marriage is until death parts us. This is marriage, this love is marriage. Everything else is gonna revolve around it. Kids, jobs, hobbies. You can't build your marriage off of kids. You can't build it off of your, your finances. You can't build it off of hobbies. These, all of these things are going to go away, all right? And they're going to go away and send a bill because that's what kids do, all right? So all these things have to revolve but not be a part of the fundamental because all these things are going to leave. This bond is until death parts you. This bond is eternal. Eternal. That's what a biblical marriage is. It's a man and a woman clinging to one another under the the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, to gain a definition of biblical marriage, we have to do what Jesus did, which is we have to go back to the beginning. So, in Matthew chapter 19, this is Jesus Christ. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, he's going back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, beginning, he made them male and female. These are biological terms. These are not pretend terms. These are not identification terms. These are biological terms. He made them biologically male and biologically female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh, one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let men not separate. What does this teach us? First of all, marriage is made up of one biological man and one biological woman. Biological. Not identified as one man, one woman. Not one man and one man, not one woman and one one man, one woman. That's what Scripture teaches. Secondly, marriage is a new journey. A man leaves his single path, he leaves his family in that single path, a woman leaves her single path and her family, and the two begin a new journey together. The two become one, and there is a physical union in the covenant of marriage, and through that consummation is where children are to be made and nurtured and cared for. And this is the command of God, God willing, a husband and wife will become one flesh, and they will produce offspring according to God's will and God's word." Genesis 1, 27 and 28 still stand. So God created man in His own image, in the image of God He created him. Again, male and female, He created them. Why? Because God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. To be fruitful and multiply requires a man and a woman. That has not changed. That biological fact remains new life comes from the consummation of a man and a woman becoming one flesh and that is to happen in a covenant of marriage now biblical marriage leads to human thriving because healthy marriages produce healthy families what we see in our text today is what a man needs and what a woman needs in order to experience a healthy marriage if you've got your bible and i hope that you do let's now go to colossians chapter 3 Colossians chapter 3, Cole's going to read for us verses 18 and 19. So Cole, come on up, buddy. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. We're now in Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Cole, go ahead and read that for us. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Cole. Good job, buddy. If you would, go ahead and be seated. Please know and note that this is not the only place where the Bible teaches about healthy marriage. As a matter of fact, uh, there is a greater explanation, a longer explanation found in Ephesians chapter 5. Not beginning in verse 22, but beginning in verse 20. Most Most of your Bibles will have that section on marriage divided and beginning in verse 22 And it needs to actually not be divided there, because as you'll see in just a moment, there's a fundamental, foundational reality that needs to be acknowledged for that marriage to be biblical. The Bible is filled with commands and explanations for how to have a healthy marriage. And what we're looking at today is again what a biblical marriage is, not what the government says a marriage is. And we're going to look at what a man and woman need. Now all of this that I'm going to say today is based on the text. I'm just going to give you this text now, and I want you to go back and use it later to reread your notes, to rethink through this. And again, I'm probably going to give you more than you can take notes on. That's why we put it online, so you can listen to it again. So don't worry if you don't get everything scribbled down. At the 8 o'clock it was just a mad dash, and everybody was kind of freaking out a little bit. I don't want you to freak out. So the the thing I want you to see is Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5.33, I, I want you to go back, and instead of laying that foundation and spending uh, 20 minutes on that, and then preaching another 40-minute sermon, I thought we would just kind of lay it out there, because um, apparently uh, they frowned upon me preaching for two hours. Not everybody, just some. Two things that are needed, two different things, both love, but different kinds of love, and that's what I want you to see in our text today. So what in biblical marriage, let's look at what a husband needs first. A husband needs respectful love. Respectful love. It says, wives submit your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands need their wives to respect them. It's it's a need. Now, many women are offended by this statement and many men are uncomfortable with it simply because they do not read it rightly in light of the entirety of Scripture. And therefore, they do not understand this command. I want you to note that this command does not say obey. Doesn't it say for wives to obey their husbands? That's a Greek word, hypakuo. It exists in Scripture. It is not used here. The word here is hypotasso, which means to submit. There's a difference between obedience and submission. Let me show you the difference, okay? Obedience is following orders, commands, or instructions. It's just doing it. Not because you want to, not because you care for, or get, it's just, you just do what you're told. It's not what Scripture teaches. The Scripture here teaches submission. Submission is yielding willingly to the person responsible. There's a huge, it's a willing submission. What God doesn't want us to be is like the little boy whose mom told him to sit down. He was standing up at dinner. She said, sit down. He said, no. She said, sit down. And he sat down and he looked at her and he said, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. My heart is not in this. God wants our heart in this. Ladies, God wants your heart in this and your husband needs your heart in this. Now, let's understand some things the Bible says. First of all, the Bible teaches that women, men and women are first of all to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Before God commands that a woman submit to her husband, He first says that in, out of reverence for Christ, they're to submit to one another. That's where Ephesians 5:20 comes in. Ephesians 5:20 20 and 21, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is what Christians do. Out of reverence for Christ, we submit. We serve one another gladly. Wives are are to to do that out of the biblical sense of what we're all called to do. It's also important to understand that the Bible teaches that men and women have the same ultimate value to God. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 28, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons. That means we have the same inheritance and the same rights as the eldest son in that culture, which means we get it all. Men and women, we get it all in Christ Jesus. We're all equal at the foot of the cross through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all blood-bought children of the Most High God with the same inheritance rights. We have the same value to God, period. We are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We have the same value because of the blood of Christ, but we have different roles. Men cannot get pregnant. That's why we have so many children in the world. Because if we had to deliver them, there would be none. Because we're sissies. We can't take pain. We all have a different role. Now, men have a capacity and a responsibility to provide, protect. Now it's harder. Just as childbearing because of sin is harder on women, according to Genesis chapter 3, so is providing and protecting. So Genesis chapter 3, uh, we, we see this, this, this harsh climate, this difficult reality that men have to provide. In Genesis 3, I think it's 17 through 19, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. that is burdensome and painful. And men have a primary responsibility to be providers in this fallen world, and they are looking for respectful love from their wives as they do it. Now, that does not mean that women cannot work outside the home. It does not mean that women don't have a vocation, a calling. We're gonna gonna study that in three weeks. Uh, Listen to what the Bible says about an excellent wife. This is Proverbs 31 an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works willing, with, with willing hands. And it goes on to describe how she goes and makes deals and she has businesses and how she provides and how she has a calling to, to do work. That, that, this does not mean that women are supposed to be at home doing nothing. That means that there's work. There's work in being a mother. There's work in providing for children. There's also an opportunity if God calls you to work vocationally in your calling. God provides that. The Bible teaches that. We are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives are yes to submit to their husbands, and and as they do that, they are experiencing this protective, this care that God gives according to His Word. And, And as we live this out, as we live out this calling, it makes it easier for women to submit our small group is doing a study right now, and it's, it's called um, Gospel-Centered Marriage, and we got in a big discussion about this, this whole concept of submit. Most of us are mentoring young couples, and so we were talking about ha- how this comes about. And, and young couples, hear me. Most of the older couples, you know this already. The more you live in this biblical sense of marriage, the easier it is, wives, to submit. It's hard early because you know he's probably not learned to be a good leader yet, right? So intuitively you know, okay, he's not really led a whole lot yet but he's responsible for me you still submit and here's what you find as you submit to him he learns to be a better leader and as he becomes a better leader it's easier for you to submit and we were talking about this is something that develops this is something that grows so don't don't get frustrated that it's not just all happening at once it takes time to get in sync and we need to be in sync because marriage is heavy. Uh, Asher and I uh, were, were carrying a couch the other day, and I was on the bottom end of the couch on the steps, and he kept pushing me, right? Just pushing me. And I was like, son, are you trying to kill me? He says, no, dad, we're just trying to move it. You need to hurry up. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. We got to get in sync, all right? I'm the leader. Okay. <laughs> and then we started going at a pace that I could handle. Wives, listen you got to early on, you got to go at the pace he can handle. Be Careful with the demands, be careful with the criticisms. And as there's growth, you get more in sync. And as you get in sync, this whole idea of submission and leadership, it, it comes about. It's important to understand wiser to submit, for it is fitting to the Lord. Not because it is necessarily pragmatic, not because it necessarily feels good, but because this is God's command. Understand there's great suffering in the world because of two things, really, for men. There's so much suffering in our world today. One thing is because of passive men who refuse to grow up and take responsibility to work and to be providers. Most men want to continue to play about, and they want to be, they got the Peter Pan syndrome. And some of you young men, you need to wake up and you need to grow up. And you need young boys to understand that manhood is coming and you need to learn now to man up. Passive males are hurting our society. Disrespected males are hurting our society. Most of the men that are buying guns and and shooting up people are disrespected men who are often lonely and have no sense of value and in their anger are acting out. Another, Another thing that is causing great suffering It's because of angry, aggressive females who are fending for and living for themselves, uncared for females left to fend for themselves because of a lack of their father taking responsibility and a lack of her husband taking responsibility. Men need respect. Again, Ephesians 5.33, gonna just hit this real fast. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's what he's looking for, respectful love. What does a wife need? Write it down. In biblical marriage, a wife needs sacrificial love sacrificial love. Look in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. See, when a woman agrees to be married, she is putting her trust in her husband-to-be and her mom and dad are doing the same. Her mom and dad are saying, we're trusting you, young men. So young men, if you're gonna ask a girl to marry you, you need to go and talk to her mom and dad first. And you need to let them know your intentions and how you plan to protect, provide, and to show and to give sacrificial love the rest of your life to her. This doesn't mean to be some grab. This needs to be a respectful go. Men, understand when you ask a woman to marry you, what you are saying is that you want to provide for her, protect her, and give her sacrificial love. And her submitting to you is easier when you will do what Scripture commands you to do. What does Scripture command? I'm going to go back to Ephesians 5 here. Men, husbands, here's the command. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now let me explain this concept very quickly. The head here is, is the the language is used uh, anatomically to speak to the the decision-making part. The wife is the body. Women have the capacity to receive in tons of information all at the same time. We were laughing about this. We were at dinner last night, uh, celebrate my mom's birthday. And and my wife says to me, did you see that family over to the left of us, what was going on there? And I was like, no, (laughs) because I'm a man and I can do one thing at a time. If I'm watching football, no, I can't hear what you're saying. I know I can't preach and have communion at the the thing at the same time. I'm oblivious. I make messes. This is what I do. I can do one thing at a time. One. Ladies, listen. There are going to times you're going to be watching us, specifically when we're driving. And you're going to say, what are you thinking about? And we're going to say, nothing. (laughs) And you are going to think we're lying. I'm going to tell you something right now. Ladies, I want you to understand something we can think about nothing. (laughs) We're not like you. You're the body. The body's always got stuff going. The body's always what's happening in this room. I mean, there's right now women are knowing all kinds of stuff that's going on in this room. The men are knowing one thing, Pettis, talk. (laughs) Women are like aware of how feelings are going, all kinds. So here's what you need. The head needs the information of the body. And then the body needs to be able to give signals to the—the head needs to give signals to the body. There's got to be communication. It's—both have a role. So the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Now, men, what are we to do? His body and as himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. We get that. We've looked at that. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, put away childish ways. It's not about you anymore. It's about her. It's about you sacrificing and loving her. It's not about what you want anymore. You you chose that you wanted her. That means now you got to man up, lead her, love her. This marriage is a picture of the gospel. God, the son, left the comforts of heaven so that he could pursue us and at a great price invite us to join him in his life. This is what a man does. He leaves the comforts of being a child and he begins to provide and to work. And he goes to a young lady and says, I'm gonna lay down my life for you and I want you to give your life to me and I will sacrifice and I will love you all the days of your life as you follow me. It's a picture of the gospel. Men, we do the heavy lifting. Wives, we need you to respect that. Men... They need us to tell them, show them, through sacrificial love that we love them. Don't be like the the the, the that man who told his wife ten years later she said, "Do you love me?" He said, "Yeah, I told you ten years ago when I married you, I love you. If anything changes, I'll let you know." No. She needs to see it. She needs to hear it every day. Now, how do you build this kind of marriage? All right. How much time we got? Three minutes. All right, put everything down. Everything I need hands-free, hands-free. Um, boys and girls, I need you to learn this. I teach this once a year, whether you want it or not. So let's go. Five connections that make a biblical marriage. First of all, spiritual connection. Christians are to marry Christians. There's 2.5 billion of them on the planet. Find one. All right. Christians are to marry Christians. Now, if you're lost, if you're both lost when you're married and one of you gets saved, the Bible says stay together. Stay together. From that worldview, you begin to have conversations, not text conversations, boys looking a girl in the face and talking to her. That creates what is called a mental connection. So a spiritual connection leads to a mental connection. When you are in Christ together and you're talking about life and the world from that shared worldview, there becomes an emotional connection. Those are three connections you have with your closest friends. Spiritual, mental, emotional connections. Those are what great friends make. Then there's, everybody hold this finger up. Hold this finger up, don't make me come back there back row Baptist. They don't ever want to participate. Chris, I'm talking to you. Thank you. Here we are. Romance. One person. Romance. I I, I know you're going to write this down. I put it on social media earlier. Romance is making the person feel as valuable as God already says they are. Ladies, listen to me. No man keep your fingers up. No man can make you any more valuable than Jesus Christ already says you are. Men, no woman can make you feel or or be any more valuable than what God already says you are. A woman can make you feel as valuable as are ladies. A man can make you feel feel that, and that's what romance is. Now, let me help you uh, divorce-proof your marriage. Romance with one person. Be careful at work. Be careful in conversations. Do not let a man who is not your husband make you feel as valuable as God says you are. Men, do not let a woman make you feel as valuable as God says you are, except your wife. I have been in ministry 31 years. Let me tell you where every divorce I've ever come in contact with came from is a couple sits in my office and one says, Pastor, I don't know how it happened. We just started talking. I never intended for this to happen. Let me tell you what happened. There was someone that wasn't their spouse that made them feel as valuable as God says they are, and it led to adultery. A fair proof your marriage, romance. Now, boys and girls, it's important that you, when you're dating, and it's good to date, and you can date when your mom and dad say you can date. You need to date because it teaches you how to be uh, committed to one person. And, and in that dating relationship, you must be so very careful that you do not make the fifth connection. What's the fifth connection? Physical connection. Physical connection. When does the physical connection happen? Consummation happens in a covenant of marriage. Everybody do this. This is what biblical marriage looks like and feels like. If you're falling off of a cliff, do you want someone to say, hey, grab my thumb. Is that what you want your life to depend on? A a thumb connection? Let me tell you something will happen. If you get in a physical relationship before marriage, the first thing you're going to do is destroy romance. Because, see, you're not making them feel as valuable as God says they are. What you've done is you've defiled them before God, you've disrespected them and their God and their family. That's not romantic. You also destroy the spiritual, mental, and emotional connection because you've dishonored each other. If you get physically involved before marriage, you destroy the friendship. You destroy all that is good. God has provided physical intimacy for marriage. Protect your future marriage. If you've messed up, repent. Stop. Recommit yourself to Christ. Remake those connections. Now here's what I know about everybody in this room who's married, you need help. Here's what I know about every person in this room who's ever failed, you need grace. Again, I wanna say this to you. Do not let the enemy beat you up. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he has the power to give us new life. Now, again, you may not agree with what the Bible teaches. We love you anyway. And you are welcome to come and hear the teaching of God's word here. Church, expect the world to call us names. To say that we are causing hate. That we are causing division. We didn't change the the laws. The government did. No matter what they call us, we are to love as Christ has loved us period. We don't hate anybody. Those of you who are not Christians, let me tell you something unique about Christians. You don't have to agree with us for us to love you. You don't have to like us for for us to love you. You can choose to hate us. I'm going to tell you something. We still love you. You can kill us. You can kick us out. But you can't change the fact that we're going to love you because God loved us and we will always love. Now, is that easy? No, so we need prayer. This morning, I would love to see families come and pray, couples come and pray, come and pray for folks who are struggling who need this, who need this truth, who need this love. We're praying for a revival. Here's my prayer, that Living Hope would be a church that experiences biblical marriages that create healthy families so that we can be a light to our city, so that we can bring healing and hope the gospel of Jesus as we're praying for a revival that's what we're praying for let's stand together father God I know there are some who are struggling as young people who are single to obey your word bless them Lord I pray for those who are soon to be married that they will follow your commands bless them I pray for those who are newly married bless them I pray for those who've been married for years bless us Lord bless this church as we seek to be revived Today, there are many who are gonna to come to ask for help, to ask for strength, to ask for provision. Some are gonna come asking for themselves, others asking for other couples that are in need, praying for our counseling center and our pregnancy center and those precious people there. But we, we, even within our, our body, church home, even within our places of work in our neighborhoods, Lord, there's so much need. And so we come confessing to you, our commitment to you and asking for your help, Holy Spirit. Come and pray as we sing.